call to worship is Proverbs 2, 1 through 8. In your pew Bibles, it's page 584. My son, if you accept my words and stir up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, implying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He, he is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. The New Testament reading is on your pew Bibles on page 1096. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts unto God's love and Christ's perseverance. Thank you. Good morning, church family. Uh, this morning I'm reading John 17, 6-13. It's on uh, page 997 in your pew Bible. I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They are yours. You gave them to me. They obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I give them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you gave me for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. The glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am come to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Thank you, David Branham, for that uh, reminder of my own childhood bladder training. That's what uh, road trips were. I had a father who didn't believe in stops. Uh, so, so much for family vacations. And thank you, Lance. Uh, terrific job. That was one of Lance's uh, recital pieces. He did a full-on senior recital, having uh, come to a very high level of mastery where his instrument's concerned. So, very good. Lance is headed shortly to uh, Arizona State University to study engineering, so you'll want to wish him well. 
We're talking about God's promises. Do the five of you in front want to move back? Because I can hardly see anybody back here. Oh yeah, this is better. I know a few of my friends. I uh, don't have a pulpit, so uh, this roving mic allows me to get right to the heart of the congregation, right about here. How do you feel? Is this a little uncomfortable? I I, want to make it like really familiar to you, so maybe we can get everything pulled this direction a little bit. It's like gravity. You know, gravity kind of moves to the back of the room. I don't know why. Normally it moves up and down, but sort of moves to the back of the room. We're talking about God's promises, and sometimes we have a very uh, simplistic understanding of them as opposed to a simple faith in them. Let me explain. Uh, By simplistic understanding, I mean that sometimes we want them to mean something they don't. We don't want to take the time to look at God's promises in the context in which they're given, with the conditions with which they're given, under the circumstances in which we find ourselves living in the world. We want to simply view them simplistically which is to say, view them at times perhaps irrationally or even unfairly. As opposed to a simple faith, which simply says, I will trust in what God tells me he's going to do for me, understanding the complexities of the context in which they're offered. God says he will protect us. And yet we live in a world in which a mudslide can suddenly take a family. We live in a world in which a child will drown in a pool. We live in a world in which people don't wake up when they hit those bumpy strips and flip in the median and break their necks and die. We live in a world in which a volcano can spew lava on a town and kill thousands. Or an earthquake can go off under sea and cast a tsunami a hundred feet high over the entire coast of a continent, killing hundreds of thousands. What does God mean when he says he'll protect us? I think one thing is clear to us from our previous uh, discussions, and it's a qualifier that just remains nonetheless and worth mentioning. The one thing that's sure, or two things that are sure, are death and taxes, right? So this promise to protect does not mean that we are immortal or immune. It must mean something else. I wrote in my editorial, which needs more editorializing, I'm sorry about that, that uh, I have a quite a guardian angel. I just heard that affirmed a minute ago, too. Maybe you do, too. Um, there was a time in my life when I spoke to him often enough to have given him a name, because I don't think angels usually reveal their names. Maybe he did, and that's what I called him, I don't know. But I have very, very clear recollections of instances in which there is no rational explanation for my well-being. 
where I believe my guardian angel stepped in and protected me and saved my life. I consider myself a really good driver, uh, but I'm also a very fast driver at times. And I have, uh, through my teenage years particularly, had a number of close calls. I think my guardian angel was there. I can remember being 11 and driving the lawnmower at my parents' house, and they live kind of on a sloping pasture hill type thing, and there's one particularly steep place around a homestead that goes back to the 1840s there. All that's left is part of the foundation and part of some rock wall. And around the rock wall is a rather steep incline that's often muddy from sprinkling and so forth, and I was taking the tractor up that incline and it didn't make it. And I was fanning the clutch and doing everything I knew to do. There was nothing wrong with my driving, but the old Sears just wouldn't, wouldn't make it. It kept rolling back and sliding to the left and rolling back and sliding to the left. And I was about to drop about four to five feet into this old homestead. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to explain this. The next thing I knew, I was standing on the opposite side of the homestead and the tractor was upside down with the hood and the steering wheel crushed. Maybe you can recount times in which your guardian angel picked you up and carried you and moved you to the side. But I want to start with John 17. The context here is the same uh, general context as what starts out in 15 with I am the vine and you are the branches. I think that's a good place to start in our understanding of what's happening in John 17. Because the initial premise is that God and Christ are connected and we are connected to God and Christ. And that is the source of life for us. This shouldn't be a mystery if you have even a smallest background in Christianity. I realize there may be somebody visiting today who has no background. But the premise is that our life is based on creation in God and on God in redemption as well. We were given life in creation. We are given new life in redemption. Grace and forgiveness and so forth. Nothing in the way of life happens apart from God. That is, in essence, the nature of sin. It separates us from God, which separates us from life and the source of life, and we therefore die and find our mortality. Acts 17.32 In him we live and move and have our being. We are grounded in God for life, if we're going to live. And Christ rightly says it in the metaphor of the vineyard which people so well understood in Israel. I am the vine, you are the branches. As long as you're in me, you're going to bear fruit. If you're not grounded in me and bearing fruit, you're going to be cut off and thrown into the fire. So the basic starting place for what we're reading in John 17 starts with that understanding. 
and let's put it in its most essential terms, the basic premise starts in us choosing a groundedness in Jesus Christ. To be connected to the living source of all, God. Make sense? Okay. So turn to John 17. What we just read a few minutes ago, what Frank just read, is from the section Jesus prays for his followers or his disciples. But let's back up to the beginning. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now, one of the really fun things to do is just sort of draw this out on paper. Maybe you can try it this afternoon. Because there is this circular or reciprocating kind of thing that goes on in the way John writes this all the way through based on what Jesus is speaking. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, going that direction, that the Son might glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do and now glorify me in the presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. It just goes back and forth like this in this very connected, interconnected, intimate kind of thing. And then he brings in the believers. I have revealed to you, I, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they have accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. Back and forth, this reciprocity. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave to me, so that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Now we're speaking, of course, of whom? Judas, right? That is the context there. So when we, when we look at this passage, the first thing we, we want to narrow it down to is that Christ is praying specifically for the disciples, for the twelve, for those who had been given him. Now, we can look at this several ways. Peter was crucified upside down. James was beheaded, as were several others. 
there were those who were stoned and flogged, those who were skinned alive, those who were boiled in oil. These were the martyrs, all of them but John the Beloved, died some horrible death. In the context of that, what does this prayer mean? Father, protect them. It wasn't that no ill would befall them. It wasn't that they wouldn't eventually meet their end. That wasn't the protection being offered. There was something else happening in that. Protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Hmm. Might have to do with faithfulness, too. Might have to do with keep them faithful, protect them. You see, there are many forms of protection. Jesus said, fear not those who can kill the body, but fear those who what? Might corrupt your soul or take, yeah, kill the spirit. There is a unity here, a relationship here, a connection here that Jesus is praying for. Father, as you and I are one, as you have sent me and I have glorified you, I want these, your disciples, to be connected. As I've had a purpose, I want them to have a purpose. As I've kept them safe by the name you've given me, I want them to remain safe with integrity, purpose. As I have produced fruit in you, I want them to produce fruit in you. Help them. Protect them. There's a sense in which this doesn't have much to do at all with death or life. There's a sense in which this doesn't have much to do at all with daily living and freedom from all harms. But God sees the disciples through to that point in time in which martyrdom becomes the voice that ignites the flames of Christendom which then spread very rapidly. Almost two centuries of various types of persecution before the Christian church becomes officially established and really takes off as an empire-wide phenomena. It is in the context of difficulty that the message grows. What needs protecting is not necessarily our physical well-beings in this case, but our purpose and our unity and our connection to the one who calls us to that. Let's back up to some of our other passages this morning.
that are, I think, helpful in different ways. Because this promise does end up being multifaceted. Look at 2 Thessalonians. We hear these, and I think, at least from my perspective, it's helpful to come back to them and take a second look. In 2 Thessalonians, there's an introduction in chapter 1 followed by nice words and then we go into something called the man of lawlessness. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and of being gathered to him, we, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Who is this that we're speaking of? Who is the man of lawlessness? Of lawlessness? Yeah. Who is the one who would be the Antichrist, the one who would stand in the place of God? Satan, right? Yeah, thank you. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time? For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way, then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. We're not talking about bad breath here. We're talking about proclamation. We're talking about the power of word, the word that becomes flesh and lives with us, the word that is spoken, the word that goes forth, the word that casts out demons and heals people. This is the word. He'll overthrow it with the breath of his mouth and destroy it by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays and powers through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and that they will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So this is 2 Thessalonians 2, leading up to 3. You've got to have all of the context of what your passage is teaching you. The protection, if we were looking for it in two, would come from the man of lawlessness. And we get to three. 2.15 So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on you, whether by word of mouth or letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your minds and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Ah, 
and then we get to the actual warning. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. For not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. So, it's a thing in the Greek called the aorist punctilier. We don't have it in the English, and if you're a fanatic uh, fan of grammar, then you probably know what I'm talking about from other languages. But what it means is there is an action happening now and now carried forward into the present and into the future. So what is happening is he says this uh, in, in five... Lord is faithful. We have confidence. Lord will. Okay, we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing, and will continue to do the things that we command. In the Greek, that's one word. All of that are doing and will continue to do. It's the aorist punctiliar tense of the verb. In other words, it means that you are fulfilling presently and will continue to fulfill on into the future. So here's what the promise in this passage is. Pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. That's some substantial protection. Especially when we read about the man of lawlessness. We're not just talking about orthodoxy. We're talking about integrity. We're talking about morality and virtue. We're talking about life and the way it's lived in the context of harmony with God's will and way or not. The Lord is faithful and will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do what we've commanded. So there you have a different kind of protection that's spoken of. This is protection from the evil one. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. That doxology of praise at the very end there. Deliver us. Protect us from evil. It's right there in Jesus' prayer. And it's something the the Lord God is willing and capable and happy to do. He that is for us is greater than he that is against us. I don't often get to use the Proverbs because they're so individual in their text. Each text seems to be standalone virtually as you go through. There doesn't often seem to be something with any kind of thematic material. But there's something to be said for what was read in 2, 1 to 8. Verse 8, he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. 
I think that's the largest picture. The largest picture there is for God's provision, for his overarching care, for his overarching concern, especially for those that call him their own. I think that when we pray for God to protect us, that when we pray for protection for our children, I don't think we are assured freedom from the reality that we will all someday die. And that that reality may come to one or more of us sooner rather than later. I think what we're saved from there, the way that prayer gets answered, is in the kind of interference that we permit God to do. My guardian angel was free to protect me. Was there to do so. I don't know whether that was because of my parents' prayers or my own simple prayers or because, as was suggested earlier, God had a particular purpose for my life that was yet to be fulfilled. Maybe all of the above. I guess sermonically I'm not telling you that you shouldn't pray for protection. But I think we need to know what it means. I think God wants to keep us I think God wants to hold us. I think God wants to carry us through. I think God wants us to be well physically. Wants to keep our foot from dashing against the stone, so to speak. But he's not just talking about our physical safety. He's talking about our eternal safety. He's talking about protecting us from evil and the wiles of the evil one. He's talking about keeping us from the snares of heresy. The downfalls that come with it. The degradation that can go with moral failure. He's talking about protecting us in terms of the larger picture of the community of faith. The relationships that we hold with one another that make the integrity of that work. He's talking about protecting us not only as his children but for a purpose, for the message's sake. You see, Christ came to reveal the Father. We exist as his disciples to reveal Christ and therefore to reveal the Father. Christ and the Father are one and he invites us to be one with him. He wants to save us for this. It's worth saving people for. He wants to protect us to that end. Well, I hope what I've said this morning moves us toward a simple faith that God wants to protect us in toto. Body, mind, spirit. But that there are no guarantees Except that he comes again. Except that in resurrection, mortality puts on immortality. Except that through the course of faithfulness, the eternal reward is ours. So if I were Christ praying for you, I would pray as he did. That he protects our intention and our integrity. 
that he it protects our relationship that he holds us fast to himself because the eternity to come is nothing like the little blip on the screen we call a life and so lord protect us your people in all of the ways you've promised for the glory of your kingdom and for the sake of the gospel in jesus name amen